Hello everyone and welcome to Comsun, the podcast for PR superstars and communications professionals. Join me, Claude Pickavance, as I delve into the highs and lows of my peers' careers. In each episode, I'll be picking my guests' brains to find out about their career path, biggest PR disasters, and for the tips they wish they'd had when they were starting out. Today we are joined by marketing hand Jessica Peck. She kickstarted her career working agency side on brands such as The Body Shop before making the move in-house, leading UK marketing for Samsonite. Most recently, she's joined luxury watchmaker Tribus, who also happened to be Liverpool FC's global wrist, watch and timing partner. Thanks very much for joining us today, Jess. Hi, Claude. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, welcome, welcome. Um, I'm going to kick things off straight away um, for our lovely listeners. So tell me, Jess, how did you get into comms? Um, I went to university to study a PR and communications degree. Um, mm-hmm. Growing up, I was kind of always a natural communicator. I was always at the back of the classroom chatting and um, really just loved chatting to people and also writing. Um, I was like a bit of a bit bookworm at school and loved writing. And mm. um, even as like a child, kind of write my own like um, being like a natural chit chatter. Communications was always sort of going to be the thing that I went into. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's how I got started. Nice. And so, so if you did PR and communications at uni, but you're now in a marketing role. So kind of talk us through your career path. You love writing, thought that's what I'm going to do at uni. Um, and then how did things evolve from there, Jess? Yeah, so like I said, I went to university to pursue a degree in PR and communications. And the degree itself was very PR and communications focused. Um, but at the time that I left university and got my first job as a graduate, I was kind of tasked with um, things that didn't typically fall into PR. So um, things like social media, um, you know, running the company's Facebook page and that kind of thing. And I think actually that was probably because I was as a as a starter in my career, I was you know, the youngest person in the company. So they kind of thought, hey, of all of us, you've got the most hands-on knowledge and you know most experience in social media so you can look after the LinkedIn or go and create a Facebook page and that kind of thing um at the time social media was really growing exponentially and companies were still pretty unfamiliar with it and unfamiliar definitely with how they could use it as a Mm. business tool um so it kind of just naturally happened that I not drifted away from communications because part of my roles were still writing press releases and working on press launches and that kind of thing but like I said it was it moved from the sort of more traditional working with journos to and at the time influencers weren't a thing but um Mm. you know managing these sort of online communities and reaching new audiences online so I guess um because I was sitting in the marketing department and Mm. looking after the things I just spoke about it kind of yeah went into like a broader marketing sense Um, But I actually found that really useful because then much later in my um, career, when I would be managing a PR agency, because I did have that background, you know, even years before. Yeah, it really it really helped with me understanding kind of how they work. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it kind of not came full circle. But like I said, yeah, I've I've got experience and then in PR and then I kind of drifted into broader marketing. But it's 
it's all been really helpful and kind of well-rounded I think. Hmm. And so early on in your career you obviously as you say you were agency side and you worked on some really big brands so Body Shop um tell us a bit about that being agency side and then before making I guess the jump in-house. Yeah, so I did work for a couple of agencies, one small and then one quite bigger one. Um, mm-hmm. And I had really lovely clients. All of my um, all of my experience has been consumer facing. And that's definitely something that I knew from the beginning I wanted to be in more of a yeah, B to C kind of environment. So yeah. whether that's agency or house, that's definitely my bag more than B to B. And... When I was working agency, again, this was the beginning of my career and um, I was so motivated and so excited and I had really lovely clients and brands that I would be working on. And I just had so much fun. I mean, I worked hard. We all did, especially yeah. the smaller agency that I worked in. And to be honest, the money was pretty crap. But um, yeah. I had so much fun um, every night, especially when I, uh, when I was working for an agency based in Soho. Literally mm. every night we would be going for drinks with either a client or to an event or to a press launch or even just a dinner, like a schmoozy dinner, you know, taking out yeah. our clients. And I had so much fun. I met so many really, um, really key people that then, mm. you know, helped me later on or just so good for, for building contacts and so much yeah. fun. Um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. It was such a busy and fast paced kind of environment to be working in. Like I would be sitting on the train and then the tube because at the time I, I commuted into London mm. and um and yeah I'd be checking my emails and you know I I could barely stay on top of, of it but that was kind of the whole um the whole agency experience for me was quite like of a rush and everything was yeah. busy and you know deadlines and this and that but I had so much fun when I did decide to move to in-house I it was a right sort of time and the right um move for me because mm. I just found the pace you know more manageable um the money was better to be honest yeah and I think if you can go from that sort of agency vibe to a big brand that you're really excited to work on you kind of still maintain that like excitement yeah I was really lucky because when I when I moved to in-house I went to work for the Samsonite group which um yeah. everyone knows for Samsonite luggage but actually they mm. own a number of um, luggage brands from you know smaller ones and much more sort of like young and funky ones mm-hmm. um, so it kind of still gave me that kind of you know variety of working across different I'll call them clients but you know they, yeah. were, they were they were all the brands I worked on so mm-hmm. yeah for me it was it was a really good step um, I haven't looked back really again like I said with working with PR agencies now when I work with agencies because mm. I have done that I've kind of like yeah done my stint agency side I get how they work and I, I yeah. understand um you don't want to so, be the nightmare yeah. client basically you're like right I'm going to give them something but give them a couple yeah, of days absolutely and I, I I know that um a lot a lot a lot of the time agencies working with brands you have to do quite a lot of work for free so you know when an, mm. an agencies are pitching you know I, I remember like staying up late with the the two sort of ladies that headed up the agency that worked with in Soho you know putting mm-hmm. together ideas for a pitch and yeah we'd make sort of six seven eight revisions before um submitting our proposals and then we'd have to go and actually pitch and that's so um for me as the junior it was it was nerve-wracking but really exciting as yeah. an experience and you know a lot of the time you can put all of that 
effort and blood, sweat and tears into a pitch and then, you know, mm. you're not selected and all of that works for nothing. Although actually it's not yeah. for nothing because it's always good to get some ideas and, you know, have this real sort of creative session and, you know, you never know years later that you could come back to that client. Yeah. Like, you know, but, or you know, on, the, on the flip side, you win the business and then you end up with a client that's like a scope creeper. So, you know, they've paid, oh, for, they've paid for absolutely. and then they're like, they know what they've paid for. They know what they signed up for and, you know, how many hours it is that they're retained a week. But they'll be emailing you every oh, absolutely. moment and asking um, for everything that's done. <laughs> that's so difficult because, you know, they have their deadlines. They're not always the best at communicating those mm. um, to an agency. And when you are an agency and you work in this sort of like service-led um setup mm. you, you've got to do it unfortunately um well, you've, got, yeah, you've so, got to keep the client happy but I suppose it's then that balance of like you know if a client comes to you and they've had a sudden deadline internally where there's now a meeting that's been put in place and they need you know figures and a deck or something to present back and it's a really really yeah. important meeting then you're like do you know what yeah we can help you can get that done but if that's then a daily occurrence then I just it sometimes then goes back to they either like need to up their retainer or there's like a yeah. an issue like a class of management style and it's a really fine balancing act because yeah, as you say they are the client and um you need to keep them happy but then at mm. the same time if they've only got I don't know a retainer for 10 hours a week and they're taking five mm. days of your time then um financially it doesn't make sense for you as the agency so it's all just such a balancing act but then as you say when you go in house and the shoes on the other foot um, you can kind of remember those things and, and, and know the best way of, I guess, communicating and managing your agency. Because again, it goes back to being a good communicator, being able to manage your agency well. I absolutely agree. And I was going to say the same thing. It, it is all about the communication, unfortunately. And this is something that really bugged me when I was agency side. But then mm. when I moved in-house, it still bugged me in a different way. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes you're working with an agency and you personally as the sort of like, you know, the, the contact for them. Mm. Um, can be as organized and um, planned out and everything like that as you possibly can be yeah you know, there were so many times when and this was with Samsonite um, yeah I'd be working to a brief and mm. um, you know the agency would get the brief they'd send something back there'd be several different um, revisions of that thing we'd, we'd then create something that both we were we were happy with it met the objectives of the breach submitted to management and they don't like it or the, the brief now suddenly changed and it's yeah. a day before the deadline and um you know if I was in that position so many times that even though I am the client I was like mm. I, I, it, it pained me as much as it did the agency that I then would have to yeah. go back to and say uh sorry guys we have to start again from scratch now um mm. so but it is all being, yeah being up front with that though and explaining you know it's not necessarily yeah, and and, and and understanding um the implications that that would have for them because yeah. sometimes um management that would be feeding that sort of to me for me to then go back to them and say you have to, have to start again they mm. are so far removed from it they don't get the kind of knock-on effect but yeah I mean sometimes stuff like that just happens and um if you want to keep the client happy unfortunately I think that's that's kind of yeah, part so it's of just the, way the job just the Although, way the like you said it's not um it's not an effective way of working for either side so no you can communicate and sort of work and I know it's kind of a bit of a cliche to say um, we're an extension of your marketing team but if you really do mm. think of them like that and get them as involved as possible um and also I think giving them 
as much sort of information and context as well so yeah you um you know I think agencies should I've always given all of our agencies sort of like direct access to our Google Analytics, our websites. They can see mm-hmm. things like the financials. They can actually see the consumer behavior instead of us just yeah. putting that in a typed brief. So, you know, they really do understand. And, you know, going back to that sort of cliche term of extension of our marketing team, they do mm. actually have first-hand experience of working with that brand as, as if they were an agency, they actually were sitting in that office. Which is really helpful because if you've done a big PR campaign and let's say you've seeded out luggage to a load of influencers, you're going to be wanting to look on the back end of your website and in your Google Analytics and seeing if there has been a spike in traffic. Because I don't know, for people listening who maybe haven't worked with influencers before, some of them can have these amazing followings and they're telling you that, you know, this is what they've delivered on X, Y and Z and you pay them a certain, if it's, let's say it's a paid campaign, you paid them a certain amount of money. Um, I guess it's that that moment where then the campaign goes live in terms of putting your money where your mouth is and seeing if they really do have that that traffic or that engagement with their their followers and being able to track that on the back end of your website. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do, and I think probably more in PR than marketing, mm. um, is difficult to measure in that, you know, you can do sort of a whole PR campaign, your um, agency can then deliver to you sort of like I don't know I don't think you still do press cuttings but you know like a whole coverage report and the opportunity to see and the um, equivalent media value and everything like Mm. this but then from my experience being client side you know the objectives usually are let's sell some stuff Um, so you know obviously there are like primary objectives that come before that where you know like increasing awareness and um, all of that stuff but you know the end goal usually is to is for, is for the business to make some money so mm. sometimes I feel bad for the agency because they can kind of do all of their work and say yeah, yeah. this much coverage and um, all of this is great isn't it all of these metrics are really brilliant and the numbers are really high yeah. but unless you communicate back and again kind of this is I guess where we go back to communication and kind of a two-way mm. partnership between agency and clients unless you go back to them and actually report to them this is great, you did all this, and this is what it drove in sales or, yeah. um, you know, whatever the sort of conversion is. know that and all start thinking oh, of course. that way. And, yeah. you know, and they don't then know that for the next campaign. Mm. You, know? you could do two Definitely. campaigns and one got so much more media interest or um, influencers were so much better at posting and that kind of thing, but did yeah. that equate to traffic on the website and did that equate to people buying, you know, converting? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So... It's so interesting and it's useful for everyone to really pull that information. Um, Also on that, so we've talked a lot about Samsonite, but you've actually made a really big jump this year in uh, the year of coronavirus, Um, COVID-19. So you're at Samsonite, just for background, everyone, and Jess went on mat leave. Was it last year, Jess? I went on mat leave. My son was born in 2019, so yeah, it was last year. Gorgeous baby Rory. Um, so yeah, you were on mat leave and coronavirus would have what happened when he's around, was he like six months old? Something yeah. like that. And then so, so how, everything got flipped on, on its head. So and then you've made this massive jump. So tell us a bit about being at Samsonite, you know, personal yeah, life sure. wise, having having your baby and then and making this big career jump. Yeah, so I mean what a crazy year. I don't think yeah. any of us could have ever imagined anything like this. And even when we started hearing about, you know, how there were so many big cases of it in China I still never really thought that it would Mm. affect us the way it has but um 
yeah, like you you briefly said, I um, had been at Samsonite for like four years before I left for maternity leave, which is obviously mm-hmm. such an exciting time. Um, I had my baby and then quite soon after, maybe when he was like three or four months, I started doing um, kit days, keeping in touch days because yeah. I, you know, I, I really enjoyed my job there and I had every intention of going back. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, I I wouldn't say I missed work. Like it's lovely to have time off work and yeah. completely focus on your new baby and sort of a new life. But, you know, going into the office and kind of picking up a bit of the old you for an mm. afternoon or a day a month as I was doing, it was so nice. And to check in with yeah. my colleagues and um I also sort of uh savvily always timed it in with a meeting with our PR agency because uh-huh. I really loved those guys and always wanted to chit chat with them over a nice lunch so um mm. yeah I always timed my keeping in touch days with yeah, days that I knew there would be exciting stuff going on and um all of that so I was doing those and like I said every intention of going back to work um after one year mm. and when Rory was about six months so I was only halfway through my maternity leave yeah corona hit, hit and it hit big mm. and um being in the travel industry you know we all knew that Samsonite was going to suffer as yeah. so many businesses were um but like I said being in the travel industry you know we, we sell luggage which is primarily what we yeah. do at the um you know when, when corona first hit or our first lockdown it wasn't like the one now you know you couldn't travel no one was traveling yeah and as such no one was buying luggage yeah because I was working um sort of primarily on e-commerce on the website mm-hmm. I thought in terms of job security I would be one of the safer people in the marketing team because um the website was the only part of the business that was still operating um, yeah. as normal. Well, I say as normal, it wasn't selling much at all. Yeah. But, you know, retail had closed down wholesale. So all of our, um, our John Lewis and Selfridges, mm-hmm. all of those have just shut down. Yeah. As well as our own retail stores. So, yeah, like I said, I kind of, I, I was never felt totally secure, but I did kind of think, well, um, they'll still I'm need me the because the website. Open. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, inevitably like so many businesses they suffered a lot they they couldn't sustain the the headcount that they had and unfortunately there were a, a really big um chunk of, of redundancies and roles involved mm. um mine included which um would have been really quite worrying for me because I had this young baby mm-hmm. um and I planned to go back to my job I loved my job but and this is all kind of not karma but kind of meant to be yeah at the same time that this was happening I met a guy who um after 16 years of of, of having his own watch brand was mm-hmm. uh, had exited and was starting a new watch brand with his three sons and yeah. this new watch brand that he was starting was going to be very different from the old one and it wanted to be very bold and very noticeable and really make some waves in the watch market which is typically mm-hmm. kind of I wouldn't say like stuffy but you know it's very classy and high-end and they wanted to do that in a very different way kind of be a bit more like urban and accessible while still being luxury Mm -hmm. um so I met this this guy and it kind of um just naturally it was like sort of you know I explained my situation to him and he sort of said well if you're interested we could do with some marketing support and it started off on like a very informal basis um I was Mm. just sort of looking to get back into working um and the more and more I, I learned about the company and it was also so the right time for me to join because they were just about to launch with like two or three months until they were officially launching and 
yeah, I just, you know, got so into this new brand and mm-hmm. it all kind of worked out perfectly. I'm working full time now um, and it's such an exciting brand to work for. And it's so nice. And, you know, not that at Samsung there was a lot of red tape, but it obviously was um, a brand that had so much heritage that we had to protect. Um, so yeah, a lot of things you couldn't do. I guess it's a brand new brand. It's kind of yeah. like, I mean, we've got like a brand, set of brand guidelines and we're not looking to... Um, to veer off that but it's kind of like well go crazy it's not like mm. oh you can't do that because that hasn't ever been done before you know yeah um, we're really looking to do things differently in fact that's one of the things my my boss really encourages he's everything we sort of say well, what about this one idea he'll say oh that's been done or you know that's very mm. eager or you know very tag and we, we want to be so different we want to be noticeably different and actually if you follow our social media it kind of can look a bit all over the place but that sort of juxtaposition is very deliberate we kind of want yeah. to be um consistently inconsistent as a brand um and it's a new brand so you know it will get to a point where people will see an ad and will say you know that's a tribus ad and I, I can recommend yeah. that but at the moment because it's sort of growing it's mm. still very it's new it's exciting you've got leeway to do exciting things and obviously um the Liverpool FC's global wrist wrist watch and timing partner is that right Jess that's yeah. right and that was yeah, we launched the brand with that partnership. Um, the guys that I work for are all massive reds, as they're called. Mm-hmm. I'm, I've been sort of um, initiated as one. I'm really not that into football, but the amount of stuff I've had to learn from working with um, Liverpool FC, um, yeah. I'm basically a Liverpool supporter myself now as well. Um, but that's such an exciting partnership because, um, again, and even for me, and I'm not particularly into football, Liverpool um, Football Club is actually such a global brand um, recognized all over the world it's got so many supporters in like Asia and yeah just all over the world and we launched the brand with that partnership knowing Mm. that to get noticed we need something big Um, and that's going really really well the watches um, that you know try to sell um, a number of different collections but the Liverpool collection is the best seller mm-hmm. on the website um, and that's obviously because of you know the billions of people that follow Liverpool and not just follow but like love it um yeah you know so yeah, really exciting and again um I'm working with them and they kind of operate not as an agency but so many different teams that you, mm. you know you have to work with so I work with their email team their social team their branding team their comms team and um again I'm kind of getting that kind of variety that I got when I was agency side um particularly because Liverpool FC is only one of Tribes's collaborations they've mm-hmm. got a number and they're all very different yeah um so it gives you that variety every day it does yeah so like I said I don't know if it was right place or right time or maybe it was meant to be in special ways and it goes back to you know it's who you know which I think is just the bread and butter of PR comms marketing you yeah know, building I agree. because you never know down the line and um, how that might then serve you yeah um, exactly and it's it's so funny because when I met my boss because I met him in this um like informal setting and it was basically mm. chit chat he was telling me about the brand and I just said, oh, it sounds really interesting, you know, to yeah, yeah. your marketing. I feel like if it was set up differently, like an interview, I would have I would have gone into it so differently mm. and, and not, you know, might not have worked out the way that it did. But when you said about, you know, going back to communications, it's just remembering that everyone is just a person. This guy that I work for could seem like a 
really scary kind of big dog in the watch world but you yeah. know he's just he's just a person and you know it's kind of remembering that everyone yeah we're you know we all just are people and people like to work with other people, people. Yeah. not necessarily Actually. you know I'm all for like putting your best foot forward but you know mm. it's kind of those like informal casual conversations instead of like an interview where you're sitting up yeah. straight and you're like you're mentally prepping your answer yeah no interviews I, I mean I feel like I interview well and, and even so they fill me with not anxiety but just yeah that kind of adrenaline and I sometimes like do you do you get the best out of people when they're yeah that in that kind of formal setting I don't know but so then on that um what advice would you give to yourself at the beginning of your career Jess oh at the beginning of my career I mm. think um well two things really I mean confidence is a big thing and it's hard mm. when you're young and you're just starting out but um sometimes that's your kind of best asset because you haven't been like um what's the word you haven't been like you you haven't conformed to a way of thinking because you you haven't been like institutionalized is the word I'm thinking about yeah um you know it's not like you've been there for 10 years and you think only the way that that company thinks Mm -hmm. you as a young person you've got so many fresh ideas and that's that's really the sort of the best thing you can bring a way of Mm. thinking differently um so I would definitely sort of say to my younger self to speak up and be a bit more confident and yeah um just because you're the youngest person in the room or the most junior person least experienced person it doesn't mean that you haven't got great ideas and Mm. I think there was a a few times in my career that I maybe had an idea or had had a thought and I didn't voice it and then Mm. months or years down the line someone else thought something similar and it turned into a really cool campaign I kind of thought oh yeah, if I didn't think that, oh, you know, shut up, Jess, that's a stupid idea in my mm. head, then, um, you know, that could have been something really cool to, like, put on my my CV that I pioneered a, yeah. an idea for a campaign or something. But um, so so definitely sort of, like, force yourself to be a little bit more confident. But I think that kind of comes from the environment you work in because the, yeah. the company I'm working um, in at the moment, you know, we're really encouraged to share ideas and there's really no such thing as a bad idea. You know, you mm-hmm. might sort of brainstorm 10 different things and you know nine of them not a crap but you know don't end up being something but in there there would just be like one nugget that is a really good idea and it's only from kind of um starting from all of those thoughts and ideas that don't end up being anything that you get to the thing that's real gold I guess as well, like agent, saying that, Jess, the agency side as well. So about you saying having confidence to say, it, I guess it's the kind of environment that wherever you're working cultivates. Because if I don't know, and I've done placements or been places where they'll only invite perhaps like, you know, the senior account managers, directors and associate directors in to think of ideas for a new business pitch. Well, if you're not inviting, yeah, the maybe younger people in. So whether that's like your interns or press assistants mm. or account execs, they might have like a whole complete, as you say, idea that you hadn't thought of. But if you're already yeah. from a culture point of view going, our ideas are going to be more important than yours and not being clear. Yeah, exactly. Then you're not going to necessarily get that fresh perspective. So it's a, as much as you say, it's about being confident. It's also a two way street. So cultivating oh, yeah, an environment definitely. where and people feel like they can speak up and say, you know, what about this idea? And even if it doesn't work, like just being not afraid to just just brainstorm it and, and come up with with different things yeah absolutely I completely agree and it's also you know I, I remember when I was agency side it was kind of all very 
um, all very agency and all very Soho, we would sit mm-hmm. on bean bags and we'd have these like sessions. <laughs> they were actually called ideation sessions. And I also found that like, I mean, obviously it's always good to be collaborative and brainstorm mm. with colleagues and everything like that, but kind of like, right, now uh, we've got a, we've got an idea this session at 10 o'clock. Now think, think of some ideas. You know, it doesn't really, really come that way, does it? You know, we no. have these ideas when we're like in the shower, we're just like yeah. walking the dog. I was about to say that that's where all my ideas come to me when I'm out yeah, and doing other things. Exactly. So it's like you said, having that culture where um, everybody, you know, the young and the, the sort of old people, you know, everyone in the company is, has the has the avenue to, to submit their ideas. And, you know, it shouldn't be like the the account exec or even the intern, you know, mm-hmm. sending an email to the, the agency leader saying, oh, you know, I, I'm not sure. I, I didn't want to say earlier in the session, but mm. what about this? It should be, you know, at any time anyone can say, hey, guys, what about this? Yeah. And, you know, there might be some reasons why that's not a good idea or mm. you know that there's nothing we can do with that at the moment but it's having the the confidence to to the share those there. yeah um my other thing I would say to my younger self and this is like not controversial but mm-hmm. I'm just gonna go with it put it out there tell me what you yeah. think but to think like a man at work okay. because men Typically, I don't want to stereotype, but yeah. all the men that I know, all the men that I've worked with, you know, um, my husband, not that I've worked with him, but mm-hmm. they'll see something like a job spec or any kind of opportunity and they'll sort of think, yeah, I could do that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't necessarily have the experience or I don't necessarily have the skills. They say that you have to have a qualification. Yes, I don't have that, but mm-hmm. I can do that. And they kind of have the not arrogance, but the confidence to, you know, put themselves out there and. I think it's a fact, and I don't know the exact statistics, but mm-hmm. I saw it and it was interesting. It was a big proportion um, of men will see a job spec, not actually be qualified for it and apply for yeah. it anywhere. As, yeah. Whereas women, we naturally, and again, I don't want to stereotype, not everyone thinks the same way, but typically women will see that and they'll think. Um, we, oh, see the, we see the job spec as a checklist and a, bear in mind that they're creating a job spec based on their dream candidate. So it's going to yeah. be highly unlikely that there's somebody yeah. out there that has everything. We're like, oh no, I need to be able to I do every single thing that's on there. I won't be yeah. able to perform the role. Exactly. Right? So you could do like sixty percent and they could maybe train you um the rest of the things that they've specified. And so then we self-exclude ourselves before um, you know, and that's exactly and that's exactly my point. Yeah exactly that I think we as women we look at a job description and we just see the holes in our own CV Mm. um, and we think oh no you know they wouldn't they wouldn't even interview me so I won't send my CV but I know it's something that that's really interesting Jess I've also noticed it in how I write emails and I've tried to stop doing it recently so uh, doing like could you just could you please could you just you know read this I'm like no why am I why am I wording it in this way or apologizing and I'm like you know even if something's is running late then try being like oh thanks for waiting on this document here you go rather than yeah. saying sorry like all of this language no. is so powerful yeah absolutely and this is one of the things I do really enjoy about the company I'm working for at the moment I'm the only female I mean that sounds really bad there's only mm-hmm. there's only sort of like eight of us um and I happen to be the only female it's not like I work in a company of 100 people and you know yeah. 99% of them are men but um I'm the only female and that could be kind of daunting but actually you know the men that I work with there's they're so direct mm-hmm. and I don't mean that like they're offensive but there's no there's no fluffy email it's kind of like can you do this yeah you know, yeah it's straight to the point and it just kind of makes it doesn't sense. mean you're 
doesn't mean you're being rude either doesn't mean you're being yeah. rude um you know it's just you know, we're all busy um and yeah we saved the banter for the, the, the company whatsapp group um yeah. but yeah so i would say think like a man as in if you see I something like and you fancy it go go for it go don't for it. let your your you know the fact that you're a female put you at a disadvantage you know there's every chance that yeah you might not have five years experience you might only have three but you know you've got the willingness to to make up for whatever mm. the skills that you don't currently have because you you know you you're proactive and also I think if the employer loves you they'll overlook even kind exactly. of exactly because it's a yeah, cultural fit as much as anything else yeah absolutely so yeah don't don't be put off if there is something that Go for, it. Go, go for it and think like a man so my next question for you then Jess um biggest marketing disaster and why if you have one <laughs> yeah I mean I've been really racking my brains and I can think of loads of things that at the time felt like a disaster but really mm. I, I just don't think any of them did. I mean nothing you know ruined my career no one was ever sacked or anything like this I mean there were okay. times when when shit hit the fan um mm. I remember once, and this was when I was at Samsonite, we had, yeah. we were doing a big, um, a big national media campaign and it was mm-hmm. like a huge amount of money and we were, um, we were doing London buses and we were doing print everywhere and, um, you know, posters in the tubes and one of the things of this campaign, probably the biggest part in terms yeah. of the budget, was we were wrapping these huge lift shafts at um, Heathrow Airport that sort of okay. went from like, you know, went like four floors up and mm-hmm. in the terminal you could see them from wherever you were yeah and um I was working with an agency a creative agency on the creative mm-hmm. and um I submitted a brief which I got from um from the bigger group yeah, that I was I working in. it was part of a, a huge um, brand campaign and we'd got the specs from Heathrow and I sent them to the mm-hmm. agency and we signed off the creative and everything looked great and when they went to install the creative there was a number of things wrong the spec wasn't right it was like an old old one so where we thought there were like doors um for the lifts and we'd like base the creative around that mm-hmm. so that no, you know, no crucial bits of the graphics were getting chopped off they were all in different spots there was hoarding around all of the bottom of it which was going to be there for like a year um and it was like the you know the last chance for us to get this done and my my boss was yeah he was he was mad and he was oh, mad at um, he was mad at me and um, a couple of my colleagues because, and this was a really big lesson. Uh-huh. We just we just got the specs and sent them off. We hadn't really done any checks ourselves. You know, he said, mm. "Why didn't you guys, you know, go over to to the site and check that everything was right before?" A recce of sorts, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, we didn't do a recce. We'd got a spec from Heathrow and we sent it on to the agency and we were like, "Designed to this spec and it was wrong." Um, so yeah but again things I feel like there are so many stories like this Jess and then it's not just a a you story and it's that it's just the world that we're living in everything is so fast and quick and digital that I don't know someone had just just attached the wrong spec you know one that was that was outdated and so much work you know weeks of work had had gone on a a spec that wasn't correct anymore but my lesson for that is not to take it what did you do to oh, it? Just had to, it just all had to be re, redesigned. Um, okay. But it was, a, it was a nightmare because these huge lift shafts to wrap them. They, they ha- we had like a cherry picker in the middle of like Terminal 5 to do all this work. Oh and my gosh. Um, you had to get like various access and things. And mm-hmm. um, 
And it actually, like the rest of the campaign had all gone ahead. So I think it took like four days to get um, the lift shafts redesigned and everything, but everything else had gone live. Um, so there were buses driving around. And yeah, mm-hmm. like I said, this was the biggest part of our campaign. But again, this was, I don't know, three years ago. And I probably yeah. wouldn't have even remembered it unless you had. Uh, yeah, there we go. Things all got sorted out in the end. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's just that feeling of like knocking on your boss's door, being like, right, there's a slight problem. Um, yeah, and then, you know, everyone gets to kind of lump into this right feeling of like, why didn't I just check? But again, you wouldn't unless you had learned something. Unless you've had the Not really until exactly that. Unless you've had the disaster, you don't learn from it. So my lesson from that is to not really, I don't want to say not take other people's, um, you know, but just not taking it something really, really important. Yeah, Yeah, doing your your due diligence and checking. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're the one that's accountable for this. So, yeah, yeah, you know, checking. If if something's, you know, a big... Uh, a big deal then then do the do the recce and yeah Indeed. make sure everything's correct but well on that really you in the scheme of things I don't think anything's a huge big disaster no you, you managed it sounds like you managed to fix it and you took a lesson from it so it sounds exactly. good but you mentioned they're having to go to your boss and explain what had gone on which leads me nicely mm. to my next question which is what makes a good boss and why yeah so I, I had to do that that time and uh my boss was pretty mad but mm-hmm. That um, particular boss and uh, other bosses I've heard were quite calm and like measured people. Mm. And I think that when you get to being the big, big boss, um, that's probably a trait that you do have because you are like quite methodical. And I mean, you'll have seen a lot of shit have gone gone wrong in in your career Mm. if you've made it to to that level. And I really think that a calm and focused boss is the best kind of boss. Um, Yeah. You know, personally, I would find it so hard to work with someone that's frantic and just like a big bag of nervous energy because, you know, that that trickles down and it kind of makes the whole uh, team and the whole workforce that kind of way. And I just don't think that's an effective way of working. And I think actually you'll you'll make so many more mistakes and everything if you're really frantic and your mind's everywhere. So. Yeah, so someone that's like calm and organized, I think, is um, is the best kind of boss. I it's agree with that. Calm, 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 calm and organized. Yeah, so. and you know, when I've had to knock on my boss's door and say this has gone wrong, mm. you know, there's no um, there's no faults. You know, people make mistakes. There's never been, in my experience, you know, one person that's caused the problem. It's just, and as long as you do show that you've learned a lesson from it, you know, usually you know everyone would just be focused on what the solution is not how this happened yeah um, move forward and then you can always revisit it so it doesn't happen again but at that moment what can you do to rectify exactly, it exactly exactly and not you know in a fit of rage because it's just not necessarily going to well to no and it just is going to waste more time isn't it yeah. and yeah and exactly. not actually come to a solution so that's well my Final question today, Jess, would be if you could market any brand or person, dead or alive, who would it be and mm. why? Yeah, this is again a tricky one. I feel one that like always would change for me, kind of depending mm. on like what I'm into. But um I would have to say person or kind of mm-hmm. duo slash brand. Yeah. Um, and again, this might be a kind of unusual one because I know they're not the most loved people. I'd have to say like Harry and Meghan just because I think 
I just think, and again, I'm a I'm a royalist, so I'm not like particular fans of them personally. Ah. But I think they would be fun to work with in a sense of all the gossip and scandal of behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, in one way, you'd be up against it, though, because I feel you'd like... You'd be up against it, but... in the but media in the UK. Totally. But with them as your client, like, their kind of outlook and their approach is, like, we're doing things our way. Yeah. And I like brands, I'm referring to them as brands, that do kind of have it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't always have to be the same, and you kind of can go against the grain. Um. So yeah, I kind of like do admire how they are really doing their own thing. Um, and also it's kind of the mix of like, uh, you know, the royal insight. And then obviously they're like A-listers and they're like yeah. friends with like um, Clooney's and Jay-Z and Beyonce. So mm. it's kind of like all of that like A-list glam Hollywood life as well. So I think they would be really fun to work for. They would and obviously they do a lot of like really great, you know, humanitarian efforts. Yeah, I mean, I really, I really like Megan. I know some people are like, "Oh, she's very Hollywood and this," but she yeah. talks a lot about kind of women's rights and things like that. And yeah, stands up, and she stands up for herself, which I think is what, in one way, which irks the British press so much because she's yeah. like, "Absolutely not, no way." And I, I just like that. I love that. And so, that's why yeah. I think she'd be a fun client, you know? Yeah. Because yeah, she wouldn't, she wouldn't say we have to do it this way because you know, because that's just not her her way of thinking, is it? It's not her style. So, Right. Okie dokes. Well, um, thank you so much for joining me today, Jess. Um, can't wait to share this with everyone, and I hope you have a fantastic day in the sunshine. Thank you so much. I hope it's not been too long. I do have a habit of waffling, uh, which goes back to my very initial point of being such a chit chatter. <laughs> I'm just a natural communicator, but I think uh, it's yeah, part, I don't have to trim this down too much. No, it's part and parcel of being a comms hand. I think. All right. Take care, yeah, Jess. Agree. Thanks again to Jess for featuring us this week's comms hum. It goes without saying that Jess's standout advice is to think like a man. So, if you've been umming and ahhing about that dream job, don't self-reject, apply now. Next week, we're joined by communication strategist Janelle Aldred, who actually started her career as a broadcast journalist working for the BBC, ITV and ITN.